God will make himself known in our lives in such a way that we'll be able to do things we couldn't do before and we will be able to stop doing things that we couldn't stop doing before. Sounds good, hey? Uh, So I want you to be uh, in faith for that. I do think that there is a nervousness in some people around the subject of the Holy Spirit, maybe because things you've read or maybe things you've been around, maybe you've been around churches where whenever the Holy Spirit was spoken about or or the way people spoke about the Holy Spirit, it, it... it basically just seemed to you to really uh, equals a, a, a package of all the things that you don't really understand about Christianity and that maybe you're a bit scared of. Um, I want to just I want to lay a, a lot of that to bed through this series, um, just to, just to bring some really clear teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit, who He is, uh, and the privilege of being able to know Him and walk with Him and, and hear His voice, and um, and really just to teach that the Holy Spirit really comes to mediate the presence of the Father and the Son into our lives. And so as you read the New Testament, you often find there's this overlap of language. You think, what's going on here? This is quite confusing because really what seems to be being taught is that the Holy Spirit comes and he's not primarily coming to get us excited about the Holy Spirit. He comes primarily, firstly, to reveal Jesus to us, that we would know and love Jesus more. And secondly, that we would, he would reveal the Father and that we, are, we really belong in the family and that we would love the Father more. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He loves to exalt Jesus and loves to reveal the Father to us and that we are sons and part of the family. So this is good stuff, okay? And, um, and, and uh, you know, maybe as we go on through the next few, few weeks there'll be some things that we look at, well there will be, where we drill down and go in a bit more detail, but I'm just trying to introduce you to, to where we're going with this. And I guess I'm trying to give a bit of a, 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 bit of a new year theme, it is the new year, and I guess I just want to ask you, um, what is going to be the main storyline of your life this year? All of us have a, a main storyline that everything else fits into. Uh, and so, you know, it could be, for example, give some examples. For some people, their main storyline is, is career. And what that means is, is that that's the thing that kind of dominates the horizon, thoughts, passion, energy, creativity, imagination, and everything else in life fits around that. Um, that would be quite common, particularly in a, in a major city, you find that's quite a common thing, career. Other people, it's family. It's like, you know what, bottom line is family. Family loyalty, family responsibility, family comes first, no matter what, um, and, and therefore everything else fits around that. And um, I, 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 really, I, all of these things, career, family... Um, uh, hobbies, passions, they fit into the category created. And then there's another category called creator. And I want to I ask you today whether you've even considered clearly, freshly at the start of this year, whether your main storyline will be creator. Whether he, whether you will dare to let him be the main storyline. I want to say that again because I think actually it's important. It, there is something about it that feels risky. There is. Whether you will allow, you dare to allow him to genuinely be the main storyline. And, and as you do that, watch how everything else lines, falls into line around him. It's a glorious thing. It's a, and I'm not, it, uh, what it doesn't mean is that you then all have to start working for the church, you know, or, 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 or become a nun. It doesn't mean that. For some people it seems that it does. But for all Christians, it really, it's a heart issue. 
It's about, it's about what, where is my worship? Where, who is the object of my worship? It's a brilliant illustration that we look at in the redemption course where, where people are described as like a garden hose that's constantly switched on. Um, and that's an, illust- an illustration of the fact that we're always worshipping. The issue is just what, what's it aimed on? You know, it's, it's, it's always on. But what's it, what's it being poured out on? And what are our lives and hearts being poured out on? And I tell you, when you see the goodness of God, when you see the love of God, when you see the glory of who Jesus is by the Holy Spirit's help, there is, there is through that experience grace given to enable you to allow him to be the main storyline in your life. And that is powerful. To be honest, that is, that is the hinge point on which everything else turns. Um, because some people would probably call themselves Christians, but something else is the main storyline. And yet if you're going to have Jesus, he has to be the main storyline. Because he's the Lord, firstly, and because secondly, your heart can only be satisfied in him. It's just, it's just the way it is. The Bible says we weren't just made by him, but made for him. That's an incredible scripture, Colossians 1. Not just made by him, but for him. So what's the meaning of life? It's a person. The Lord Jesus. So will he be the main storyline? I guess I want to just ask you that and let you uh, reflect uh, on that. I want to maybe say a few comments on, on context, the kind of world that we're living in at the moment. There's lots going on. Many of you last few days, headlines dominated by the events in Paris. Um, I guess this whole kind of uh, extreme Islam thing, getting closer and closer to our, to our shores and our worlds, and just, just what we do with that internally. It's important that we... That we recognise the Bible talks about certain, uh, I think it was the Ishmaelites, certain group of people that they, they discerned the seasons and the times. They they knew they had a sense in them of being able to see th- see what was going on in their day and in their age. And this is a, this I think this is a big deal. I do I think that on a number of levels I think the whole um, extreme Islam thing is a big deal for us. Probably primarily on two levels. I think firstly, in terms of uh, at some point, I think serious Christians will. Will, will enter their target. Serious Christians who are making disciples from people of all kinds of backgrounds will become, the, will become part of the target at some point. And just in terms of internally, our own courage and our own conviction around um, you know, how we overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by our witness and not loving our lives unto death. I think we'll have to, we have to get our heads around that by God's grace. And I think secondly, I think just the world around us in the West, when it sees that kind of activity, can, through ignorance, be, develop a very negative idea of any kind of strong religious conviction. And you can be, in some way, begin to be parceled into the same category in people's minds. You're, you're one of those people that really believe stuff strongly and, and would, even, would even die for what you believe. You, you, you know, you must, you must be like that. And, and that's really ugly. So I think we've got, to, we've got to be aware of that, something that's going on there. The battle for hearts and minds, I think, uh, in, a, in a strongly secular context, you know, there's a lot of people now that are just weary, like I said, with the idea of religion um, per se. Um, and I think also, just to be honest with you, a lot of a lot. I'm not trying to paint a bleak picture. I'm just trying to say, let's just be let's just be sober because I'm expecting God to do amazing things with us. I really am, and actually, God is doing amazing things in our nation and in the nations. Um, but the, you know, I remember talking to one of my pastors about 20 years ago, and I said, "How do you see? How do you see it going in the future?" And he said, "I see the dark, the darkness getting darker and the light getting lighter." 
I thought it was quite insightful. I thought, ah, yeah, and I think that's what we're seeing. So I'm just trying to be kind of sober before I begin to talk about uh, the Holy Spirit and the amazing things he's going to do. Um, but the, the, the third element, the third bit of context I want to bring is I, I do see and com- hear in conversation and read and, and uh, in things uh, numbers of believers who are struggling to enjoy the Lord, struggling to find real delight in Christ, um, don't know how to beat sin, don't, don't know how to kind of crunch habits that are gripping their lives and really don't know the way through genuinely seem seem to seem not to know um and also don't know how to talk naturally and convincingly about jesus and, and so I, I think within that kind of context you know it kind of it forces the issue for me i think who is the main storyline in my life it forces the issue what what am i about and will I, will i dare to be a man of one thing Will I dare to be a man of one thing? Now what I mean by that is not that I'm not allowed to enjoy other things, because the Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above, and he gives us all things for our enjoyment. So it's not like if you're just about him, then literally that you're only allowed to sing praise songs or read the Bible with your spare time. That doesn't mean that. Okay? But what it means is, is that something in your heart, you've said, I'm about you, Jesus, and I want to seek first your kingdom. And I want you to be the Lord. And as we do that, um, that actually feels like a risk on the inside. I think there are elements you think, because it means other things aren't going to get that priority um, in my life. And so I think these things, I want to kind of set the scene in terms of, you know, this isn't just kind of walk in the park type conversation. This is life and death. This is, this is big stuff. We're around. We're dealing with matters of eternity, matters of the soul, matters of, uh, you know, matters that are very, very weighty. And, you know, God, God by His Spirit wants to make us a weighty people. Not a, not a heavy people, but a people of, you know, one of the words for glory means weight. Uh, the other word means radiance, but the other word means weight. And, you know, just that sense of the weight of God's presence, the weight of who God is. He, actually, us being made in His image means that what He wants to do is restore something of His weight to our lives as well as His shininess. Which is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful kind of. It's a wonder if you if you if you are someone who you just think there's not much to me. Get around God because there's a lot to Him, and He will shine on you, and something of that weight that is in Him will begin to be reflected in you simply through being with Him and allowing Him to work. You haven't got to be clever. You haven't got to. It's not a formula that you have to work out. If you if you are in His presence, something happens, and there's just a weight that comes around who you are gradually as the years go on. It's just being changed from one degree of glory into another. This is what he wants to do with us. The Holy Spirit is central to that. Now, we want to just quickly look at a few things that Jesus said. Three very short things, and then we're going to just press in um, on the last part of the sermon, looking at step one on how to be powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. There's seven steps we're going to look at over these next few weeks. I want to look. At, I want to end today with step one on how to be powerfully filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so a few things Jesus said. Firstly, John chapter five, uh, verse nineteen. Sorry, verse nineteen. Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise." I love this. This is Jesus' description of His life. He's not that. He's not. He's not Mr. Initiative. He's a responder. Jesus says, "I see the Father doing, and then I do it. I hear what the Father says, and then I say it." Which is, you think about that. There's a, there's a lovely simplicity about that. Um, but really, how did that play out? What, what, how was Jesus able to do that? Well, we see it is baptism that. Uh, this, the Spirit, like a dove, came on him, and he was filled with the power of the Spirit for his ministry. And really, Jesus knew the voice of the Father through the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I find that life is quite complicated. Any of you? Any of you? Yeah. I mean, man, 
there's, there's a lot to do. There's a, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of admin and paperwork to do. And there's a lot of passwords to remember. Anyone? anyone? <laughs> you either have the same password for everything, and then you think this is totally irresponsible, or you have like a thousand passwords. That's a, and, uh, you say, well, I'll write them down, but where will, where will I put the paper? You know, life... Even little tiny things, it can be complicated. Relationships and friendships and trying to stay in touch. And I've got 500 friends on Facebook, but who of them are my friends? And, and who's that girl in the bikini that wants to be my friend? And Davina's just seen this person ask me my friend and I don't know her. You know, life can be complicated. Yeah, yeah things... Staying on top of staying on top of things and prioritizing and you know and then you so you develop, I'm going to prioritize you develop a system and you look at it and you think that is just that is a soul killer. My life is now a, a list of priorities. I'm going to I'm going to run away, you know, and then you run away and get you get to the corner of the street. You think no, I can't do this. I go home again. You know, life is complicated. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing, I say what I hear the Father saying. And as I've reflected on that, I've thought to myself, he must have disappointed a lot of people. He must have. Because if you're living like that, you, you won't please everyone. And I was reading this week, someone saying, Jesus didn't seem to care. You know, he had the, he had the 70, and you don't see him saying to the thousands, look, sorry guys, I, I picked 70. I, I know some of you really would have been wanted to be in this group, but... You know, I, I just, I'm just finding it really hard at the moment to make decisions. I just, just chose these guys, and you know, we'll, we'll see how it works out. But don't give up. Maybe you'll be in it one day. You know, it seems he chooses 70, then he chooses 12. At that point, you don't see him explain to the 70. Look, I know these guys alone look special for these guys, but you're just as loved. You don't see it. He just chooses the top. Then he chooses the three out of the 12: Peter, James, and John. And then with John, there's a special. F- you think, wow, but he, you don't see Jesus constantly explaining things. He's just, he's seeing what the Father's doing. It's simple. There's a simplicity about it, uh, but but what the Holy Spirit brings is a boldness and a courage where you're not spending your whole life trying to please everyone. It's exhausting, and you never you don't you can't even do it successfully. So you get worn out, but you haven't even done it. So we need the Holy Spirit. Second thing, Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, appeared to the disciples in a room, and it says on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. Them, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It's a mighty moment. The disciples, the apostles, are, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. You think, wow, that's really exciting, but... That's really, that's actually very challenging because Jesus, we've looked at what you've just done for the last three years and are you seriously saying you're expecting our lives to look something like that? He says yes and then what's the next thing he says? Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Because you cannot live a life that represents Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can't. Give it up. Stop it. You can't do it. It's just demoralising. It's like, you know, some people say, I love Jesus, he's a great example. He is a great example, but that's not all he is. I've said it before, if, if that's all he is, that is, that's not the gospel. The gospel means good news. That's just that's bad news. Because if he's just an example, it's like, what's an example? Example is given to us so that, so that we're then supposed to copy it. So I see Jesus, his compassion, his generosity, his selflessness, his utter 100% resistance to all temptation, to all sin. You, you think, and then now I've got to do that? 
that's not gospel. That's just like, that's really bad news. Because that's not me. That's not me. There's no way I have the power to resist sin like that. No. There's no way I have that kind of compassion, that kind of selflessness. I, I don't. I really need the Holy Spirit. I really, really, I re- we really need the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so. And then uh, listen, to, listen to how emphatic Jesus is about the disciples' need for the Holy Spirit. Just before, he, sa- he says, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. That's, that's his phrase for the Holy Spirit. And he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He's saying, don't go and try and do it. Don't try and be an effective Christian until you know the power of God, until you know the Holy Spirit. It will be a disaster. You, you, you can't just be a Christian. It's impossible. Do you know that? The Christian life is absolutely impossible to live in your own power. You will mess it up. And, and, and you, you'll, just go from, you'll go from one degree of disappointment to another. Because you think... This isn't working. It doesn't work. You need to know the power of God. So I wanted to just spend the rest of the time just want to look at just step one. Because I want to, really want to teach you clearly on how to receive and walk in the full power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I really want us to get this. Um, I think God really wants us to get this. And I think it's worth giving the time to. It's worth reflecting on outside of the sermons. Please pray into it. Please look to say, God, go over the scriptures again. Because I I, I absolutely believe that for every one of his people, God wants them to know the power of the Spirit in their life. He really does. Uh, it's, It's in his heart. Because he wants a fruitful people, and you can't bear fruit unless you abide in Jesus. And fundamentally, abiding in Jesus is the same as being filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll look at that as the weeks go on, but it's really the same thing. Okay, so this is really, really big deal. So let's just, we're going to just, we're going to just, I'm going to just give you these seven steps over the next few weeks out of this scripture, Acts 2, verse 38. Um, Peter's just preached the gospel in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, and everyone that's heard the message, thousands of them said, what, what shall we do? They know there's, they know something has, they, they've got to do something. They've heard that Jesus has been crucified, they knew that, but Peter's told them, yeah, but you need to realise God has raised him from the dead, and God has exalted him on high, and now he is Lord. And they know at that point, hold on a minute, if he is Lord, then what must we do? And they say, tell us, what must we do? And Peter says this, repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now let me just clarify something here because uh, some of you might be here thinking, hold on a minute, I thought, I thought that, you know, um, if you're a Christian you have the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. You cannot be a true Christian without the Holy Spirit. The Bible's phrase, one of the phrases for becoming a Christian is that you are born of the Spirit. If you, are, if you have really become a Christian, then you, you have the Holy Spirit. He, he indwells you. But as we read through the book of Acts, what we tend to find, we story, we find numbers of stories where people have received Christ by the Spirit, but they haven't yet received the Holy Spirit in terms of being empowered to live the Christian life. Now sometimes it happens at the same time that you are converted, sometimes it's subsequent, but whenever it happens, it doesn't matter, it's got to happen. Because if you haven't experienced it, you will, you will be woefully ill-equipped to live the Christian life. 
and um, I don't want to get hung up on too many technicalities through, through this series in terms of arguing over every I dotted, every T crossed. But what I do long for is to be part of a church which is full of the Holy Spirit. You know, and I long in my own life to be full of the Holy Spirit. And really, to be honest, I'll just, I'll just be straight with you. This sermon series is just coming out of my own prayer life and what I'm saying to God. God, I need more of you. Have I been born again of the Spirit? Jolly well hope so. Uh, have I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You know what? I think I have. But then when I'm reading Acts and I read what happened to them, part of me says, well, maybe I haven't. So what, where does that leave me? Hungry for more. At that point, I don't get demoralized. I don't get hung up on... I just say, well, God, I just want all there is to have in this age. I ju- I'm just hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. And I want more of you. And I don't care what it looks like. I said that to God. I don't care what it looks like in my life. And I've even prayed, Lord, even if you come in, in an amazing power among us as a church, uh, you know, Lord, I said, it, it looks what it looks like. As long as it's really you, don't mind. As long as it's, re- as, long as it's him, hey? As long as it's his presence. I don't, I don't mind if, you know, there's loads of stuff that's negotiable, but I know what he will do when he comes. He will do, he will do, he will do things that cannot be done, but, but he can do it. He will bring such a surety of our, of our place in the family of God. You will know you belong. You will know that your deepest part of your heart, you will know I am in his family. It's called assurance. You, his spirit in you, witnessing with your spirit, you belong to the family of God. Maybe some of you, you haven't quite got that. You need that. And the Holy Spirit will bring that to you. So we're going to trust that he will do that. He will bring not just power for you to talk about Jesus, but power to talk about Jesus in a convincing way. You know, that's when the Bible talks about that, that's what the word means. Not just that you'll be able to talk, but that you'll be able to talk in such a way that people will be convinced. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. Oh, don't you long for that? I long for that. He will bring the fruit of the Spirit into our life. He will bring love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness and self-control. Do you need those things? Right, so we need the Holy Spirit. Okay? He, he will, he will um, make clear, he will gift us and help us to make clear what our gifts are so we can find our place in the body of Christ and find where we function happily, fruitfully, effectively. This is good. This is good. Now, all the other stuff that people associate with the Holy Spirit, falling, shaking over, well, okay. If that happens, that happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, there's no way if you did a Bible study on the Holy Spirit, you would come out and say what he primarily does is make us fall over. You would never come to that conclusion. You simply would, or that he makes us shake. You wouldn't, why? Because those things are not the big deal. They just, they are not the big deal. I don't, I don't think they're wrong for a moment. But if that's what you focus on, it's just, you've, you've lost it. You, you've gone off. The things that he does, he brings assurance, he brings boldness, he gifts us, he, he makes our character like Jesus. I mean, he gives us a foretaste of what's to come. I mean, oh wow, glory. I tell you, if that's what he's doing, he can make me shake as much as he likes. <laughs> if he's doing that, alright, I'm in. Yeah? But it's, it's secondary. It's not even secondary, it's way down the list. So I just want to say, as we pray for the Spirit to come, if some of that stuff happens, don't worry about it. It's not important. It's not important. If that stuff doesn't happen, it's not important. What happens is assurance of sonship. That, what's important is assurance of sonship. What's important is boldness. 
What's important is that he's changing me. Okay, power. Power to actually live this thing. Hunger for Jesus. Love for Christ. I mean, man alive. You cannot know Jesus except by the Holy Spirit. Love for Jesus. Knowing that I am a child of God and, and they're coming to my life, walking out of that whole orphan approach to life. You know, that, that horrible, you can manifest that orphan spirit in so many ways. You can manifest it in a kind of a militant independence. Or you can manifest it in a kind of a really kind of, how can I put it? It's like a, it's like a, uh, such a manifest kind of insecure, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's like, oh no. You just, there's no sense of safety, there's no certainty, there's no inner peace that you belong in this family. I tell you, that and uh, there's all kinds of other ways that it can just manifest. We'll look at it one week in, in detail. As you can tell, I've not had much time thinking about it in detail. But there's, there's a lot to it. I tell you when, you, when you know the spirit of sonship, witnessing into your heart, you belong. Just that kind of storm ceases. But not only that, that kind of militant independence, you can let it go. You can let it go. Because it's often a protection, uh, a protection against being abandoned. So this stuff is huge. It's huge. And I just feel so thrilled to be able to talk about the Holy Spirit um, over these weeks. So I'm going to just look at one thing, one step, the first step uh, from here, and that's acknowledging Jesus as Saviour. This is the first step. If you have done that, please don't switch off at this point. Please just hear it again. Understand it again because hopefully it will come in a fresh way uh, into your heart. Um, it, it means acknowledging this. To accept Jesus as my saviour means, number one, that what well, it means primarily I haven't got to save myself. There's so many attempts at self-salvation out there, even if it's not called that. So many people look to so many things for salvation. People look to music for salvation. People look to other people for salvation. Kind of like a, just a kind of a, you know, they may not say I'm looking to it for salvation, but they look at it for meaning, for safety, for a sense of joy and ecstasy, for peace. They look to, music can't save. Art can't save. Sport can't save. Other people can't save. You can't save yourself. Jesus is our salvation is a hugely, hugely important thing. It means that firstly, he lived for me. Someone has lived for you. Did you know that? Right, think about your life and think about on the basis of your life, could you ever stand before a perfect God and give him an answer why he should let you into heaven? Think about your life, things you've said and done. Is there any way you could stand before a holy and perfect God and say, of course he should let me into heaven when his standard is perfection? No. But someone has lived for you. Someone has lived a life for you that is perfect and is lived on your behalf. Did you know that? There has been a life lived for you that is utterly perfect. The life of Jesus lived for you. It was lived on your behalf. Jesus was utterly, utterly without charge before God when he went to the cross. He'd done nothing wrong. Nothing. He was utterly commended in and of himself before God. Totally in with God. Totally on the way to heaven. That life was lived on your behalf. That righteousness that was credited him for his life, you know what? That was lived so that you could receive that as a gift. Someone has lived for you. No matter how broken your life is, you think my life is broken, or my life has been broken, or my life's still pretty broken. Listen, there is a very whole and perfect life that has been lived for you. you, you faith lays hold of that. Faith says, that's mine. That's what faith does. Faith says, that is mine. Because God says it's yours. God says it's yours. 
This is the righteousness of Christ. His perfectly lived obedient life. That's, his, that's the way Jesus really sums up his life, that he lived for the will of God. He lived a life of perfect obedience. And everything that overflowed out of that, all the wonders and the glory. You read the Gospels, what a life. Lived for you. Will you take a hold of that? Will you embrace that? Will you say yes? If you go, oh, that, that, that's double-minded, that's, that's unbelief, that's timidity, none of those things are godly. You've got to say yes. And once you, once you understand the brokenness of your own life, you'll, you'll be mad not to say yes. Because there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to try and commend myself before God. It's just going to be, it's going to be humiliating. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not how it goes. So he's, so there's been a life lived for me, the life of Jesus. And then there's been a death died for me. There has been a death died for me. So, so the con, the, 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 the debt that I owe, uh, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So I, I earn death through my wrongdoing, through my wrong thoughts and through my wrong actions and my wrong speech. I earn, I earn death. There has been a death died for me. He died in my place. He died in your place. Do you understand that? Will you lay a hold of that and take that to yourself? That's what faith does. Faith says yes. Faith says my death has been, uh, has been absolutely um, died by someone else. What I owe, what I owe through the things I've done wrong, he has taken it on himself. This is the wonder of the cross. It's magnificent. This is why it is so vital that Jesus be as glorious as he is. There's no way just a normal person could die on a cross and it count for you, 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 you. No! There's no way an angel could die on a cross and it count for you. No! No! God in the flesh, however, willingly laying down his life for you. Oh yes. Oh yes. More than enough. For you, 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 me. Death has been died for you. You see, the Bible says that God, as we, when we choose our own way, God gives us up to what we choose. That's, that's in many ways, one of the, if you like, the main way God demonstrates his displeasure with, with us going our own way. He says, fine, I'll give you over. I will abandon you to it. I love you, I want you back, but if that's what you want, there you go. Well, the Bible uses that same word in Romans 8 when it talks about God giving up his son. He abandoned his son to the powers of sin and death on the cross. He, he gave his son over to the power of sin and death. You think, well, why? Why? Because of what we've done. There's an exchange. There's an exchange. He died your death. You've got to get a hold of it and you've got to pull it in by faith to your own life. And say, because this, this deals with the fear of death. Your death has been died. It's done. If you will lay a hold of Jesus, this is Jesus saving you. This isn't you saving you. This isn't about, but I'll go to church now. That doesn't count for toffee in terms of your standing before God. It doesn't. You can come here every week. You can get here early. Please get here early. But it won't count for anything. It won't, <laughs> it won't count for anything in the presence of God in terms of you being, you being let off of your sin. It won't. You can read your Bible all night. It doesn't make you saved. It's not what you do. If I was to say to you, if I was to say to you, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And you said yes. And I say, tell me how you know. And you start mentioning anything about what you do. Anything. At that point I'm thinking, oh no. They don't get it. You know, you don't get it. It's nothing about what you've done. He lived a perfect life for you. Only perfection will do. 
So when we start talking about I got to church early, it's just embarrassing. Because only perfection will do. He lived that life for you. Your and my sin deserves death. He died that death for you. And then he rose from the dead for you. Right? So this was the mighty moment of vindication where it turns out, oh my God, he is all that he said he was. He is the Son of God and it's God's way of vindicating his Son. Yes, he is. And he's alive forevermore. And he's, and he's going to come and be by my side. But guess what? If you're in him, he takes you up there with him. And that's what, that is the power of baptism. Baptism is that, is that playing out of that mighty reality. In baptism, we die, are buried with Christ, and then raised with him into newness of life. It's the gospel. It's what Jesus has done. Wow. This is salvation. This is to, re- to receive Jesus as saviour. Next week, step two, we'll look at receiving Jesus as Lord. You can't do one. They come together, but they they involve different dynamics. But this is what it means, where you say, I am going to give up all uh, all attempt at trying to justify myself before God and others. I'm going to give it up. It is, uh, it's ineffective. I'm not going to wrap myself, the Bible talks about righteousness as a robe. I'm not going to get my own robe. No. It's a robe that's given to you, the very righteousness of Jesus. That is the wonder and that is the glory of all that he has done for you. A brand new humanity has begun in the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, all we can do is look on and applaud. Say, wow, you've done it. You have done it. You're my saviour. That's what it means. And I want to I finish by saying, do you know this? Are you here today? What is your foundation? Is it Jesus? His life, his death, his resurrection? Or is it anything else? Or is it Jesus and anything else? No, it can only be him. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. And so we are included in all the wonders that Jesus has done. And in fact, the Bible has very strong words for those who try and add to Jesus' work. Very strong words. In, in the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, I think, have we got that one up there, um, Sarah? Yeah. I do not nullify the grace of God. The grace just means the, God's free gift of salvation through Jesus. He says, I'm not going to nullify that. For if righteousness comes through the law, if righteousness comes just by knowing God's commandments or by being Jewish or by doing good works, Christ died for no purpose. If you get right with God by anything you do or anything you are or any, any, anything where you rest and say, yeah, because I'm this or I know this or I've done that, Jesus' death was, a, was no point to it. So Christianity is kind of all or nothing. You've got to be like, yeah, it's totally Jesus and all that he has done. Um, that's, that's where we're going with this. It, can, it cannot be anything, anything in between that. And I want to just finish today by, by saying that is the, definitely the first step in receiving the Holy Spirit. That's the first step, knowing that. And, 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 it, and it really does slay our pride. It slays we like to feel we've contributed something. Of course we do, naturally. You know, we, 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 like, you know, we like to feel there might be some credit at some point for something we did. Um, and the gospel just removes all of that and says, no, no, there's a gift of eternal life. And it's through Jesus and him alone. And uh, actually, you know what, even though it, you have to deal with your pride to get to that, once you get there, it's such a relief. It's such a relief, because you no longer have to try and be something you're not. And pretend to God and others, you can come as you are. Oh, man. I mean, what a relief. There's, there's nothing like being before God and being before others, but as you are. 
and knowing I'm accepted before God because of the blood of Jesus. Let's just be still for a moment before we respond. Lord, I just pray that you would bring just fresh revelation of this. Fresh revelation. What a gift. Jesus, thank you for your mighty work. Thank you for your mighty work. Thank you for your strenuous effort on our behalf. Strenuous laying down of your life. Credible. Giving up of yourself. And all, of the, all that you went through for us. Thank you. Thank you that we can be totally forgiven because of your work, Jesus. Thank you. It's not about being respectable. It's not about being polite. It's not about being punctual. Lord, we thank you, Lord. It's about acknowledging that we've, we've, we, we, we've, not, we've not done well in terms of what we were made for and, and what we've become. But you've provided a wonderful, wonderful substitute in Jesus. And we just say thank you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, bring revelation of that, I pray. Bring revelation of that. Oh God, bring revelation of that. We just stand to our feet, is that okay? And maybe the bank can come up. But I just want to... Um, we're going we're gonna to spend the rest of our time now, next 20 minutes, we're going to be just breaking bread and... You know, when we come to when we come to break bread, we um, can I just walk over here? To- oh, is that okay? Thanks. I don't know the rules really, but um, when we when we take the bread and the wine, what we're doing is we're 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 just acknowledging that the cross is that His body was broken for us, for our brokenness. He wasn't broken. He was the only whole human to have ever lived. He was broken willingly so that us broken ones could be made whole in him. And his blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And, um, I, yeah. I suppose somehow I want to find an opportunity uh, of uh, um, just for some people today, you could, you could have just sort of found your way here through whatever means. But actually as you're here, you've realised maybe you thought you were a Christian, but... You certainly have, you're not on the foundation of Jesus. You're on the foundation of Jesus and a few other things, or just other things. Maybe for one or two here, it's your heritage. You were brought up in a Christians. You've just assumed you, but you've never said, "Jesus, I, I, I give up all other confidence for being right before God and just totally come to you." Um, I want to give you opportunity to do that. I really do. Uh, I just don't know the best way of doing it, really, but. It's a, it's a big moment, that's the thing, you see. It's a huge moment if you do that. Because you're saying, Lord, I, I, I turn my back on self-righteousness. And I want gospel righteousness. Um, I guess what I'm going to ask is, is that if, you, if, if that's you today, then you would either just, cut, just come and find someone that you know at church here and just say, look, can I take bread and wine with you? And I'm going to be doing this for the first time, really understanding what I'm doing. So they can really stand with you and pray with you, and then I'd love to be able to pray with you after the service. But please, let's be responsive to the Holy Spirit, and let's expect the Spirit to, to move in our hearts as we sing songs about all that Jesus is and all that He's done. Let's expect that, because we're looking for His ministry among us, right? I want to just, Lord, we just welcome you. Uh, he is a He is a person, so in that sense, our welcome matters to Him. Yeah, our welcome matters to Him, as strange as that might seem. So as I welcome him in prayer, please, if, you, if in your heart you do agree, please, do, please agree. Because we want him here, don't we? Lord, we do so want you here. We really do. And um, 
I want to just pray over these weeks, Lord, we as a church would learn how to walk with you. And how to be full of you, Lord. And we need such help. We just do, Lord. But we thank you that you are so willing to help us, that you want to indwell us and be friends with us and you want a relationship with us to grow and grow and you want to reveal Jesus to us and you want to assure us of our place in the family. You want to do these things and Lord, we long for you to do these things. And so we just say welcome. You're welcome here, Lord. And Father and Son, we pray you might pour out the Spirit on us and that we might just know, know the touch of God in our lives as a church. As a church, let us know fresh life, I pray. Amen.